How have you been? Oh my god. Good. My yeah. Kids are growing up. Yeah. I'm getting older. <laughs> Guess who's got gray hair now? <laughs> yeah, me. So, so who, who tell who where to go now? You or the kids? They tell me what to do. They tell you what to do, yeah? I'm a typical dad. I just like whatever you guys want to do. They're not on there. But it's not bad. They're both in school. Stewie's uh, becoming a mechanic. Nice. And Josie's going to become a vet assistant. Awesome. So she'll be working with dogs and cats and shit. So she likes animals? She loves animals. Yeah. She's been out of school for a little while. And she decided to go back now. Because she's been working like waitressing tables and stuff. Like at Cactus Club and Earl's. So she's had enough of that. She says, okay, now I want to go back to school. Okay. <laughs> it's a phase that we all have to go through. Leave school, see what's out there. Yeah. Well, when you're out of school, you don't know exactly what you want to do. No. Unless you have, like, an ambition ever since you're a kid. You know, like, you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a pilot, you know. Well, I don't know. I, I, I've, been want, I've been wanting to be a porn star ever since I was a kid and haven't come through yet. Well, you can still get in there. They're looking for short guys. <laughs> you know, if you're up and coming. Yeah, I didn't You are listening to the Johnny Tiger Experience Podcast. The best podcast in the world. <laughs> Episode 39. Today's quote. Time is a cruel master. It will heal all your wounds. It will bring you all you desire. And in the end, it will take away all that you have. I am Johnny Tiger, and this is my reality.
Many people probably wonder what is it about a simple, generic conversation with a friend at a very noisy pub. What is it about it that warrants me including it and using it as the intro of the Johnny Tiger Experience podcast? Well, perhaps for most of you who grow up in a peace-loving,、uh, caring family, wouldn't understand this. But for me, that conversation was quite striking. In that, my friend so casually said something to the effect of, "I just let my kids do whatever they wish. I am just a typical dad." At the time when he said this, I felt that twinge of sharp pain inside, because it is phrases like these. That showed me just how unnatural my family was, and how much I wish that I could just grow up in a normal family with such a typical dad. But personal musings aside, this is going to be a very busy weekend. We are having our、uh, 2018 first. Night Strike Self Defense Workshop for the Blind. It will be a two-day affair. We will be training hard for eight hours a day, two days in a row, and much more than that. We are also having our first ever fundraiser to raise funds to support Night Strike Self Defense for the Blind. So busy, busy, busy weekend ahead. Not sure how much I will get it done. Remember, if you like the podcast and wish to support us. You can easily become a donor or contributor by going to our Patreon website.、Uh, that's www.patreon.com/johnnytigerexperience. You can donate as little to a dollar a month, and even that will help. 
keep the podcast going. Furthermore, all the donations that come into the podcast will directly go into towards funding Night Strike Self Defense Workshop and seminars. So please consider becoming a donor. And even if that doesn't figure into your budget, all you have to do to help the podcast is to help spread the word, share it on your social media, tell people about us. And for that, we will be eternally grateful. And now, without further ado, let's jump directly into this week's Johnny Tiger Diary. Previously on Johnny Tiger. Today started out as any other day. Just another ordinary working day with tons and tons of things to do, not enough time, and pretty much no emotional involvement. In the afternoon, I was cleaning out my desk when I remembered that there was an old tape I had to digitize. I've been putting off doing this for various reasons. Reasons that I told other people, reasons that I told myself, and reasons that I did not even want to admit to myself. I guess the real reason was I was scared. It's nothing to be scared of. I told myself it's just a dusty old tape. God knows if it would even play. But what if it did? This tape has been with me ever since 1995. It holds all the goodbyes, all the farewells, all the best wishes of my high school teachers and friends. In 1995, I left my home and my friends and everyone I knew for the second time in my life. Little did I know that this time it would be more or less permanent. That it would be almost 20 years before I would see these people again. Before I left. All my teachers and classmates got together and made this tape. It was not very well planned out. It was not very professionally made. I remember they just put a tape recorder up on the podium in the classroom, and anyone who had a spare moment could go over and record something. Just a little farewell, little appreciation, little.、Uh, Uh, uh, well wish for me,、uh, this blind kid who was departing soon. And most of that tape is actually quite awkward. A lot of people didn't know what to say. We were old kids. We were like grade eight, so、uh, we didn't have the flowery language. We didn't have the elaborate goodbyes. Most of it, it was just, hey. Goodbye and、uh, keep your chin up, or I will miss you, and all that stuff. But from the teachers, 
there were a lot of heartfelt uh, little nuggets of wisdom. Things like, now that you are going into a foreign country, you must learn to be strong. You can only count on yourself. Despite you being blind, you will succeed. So on and so on and so on. As I listened to all these twenty odd years old messages in the process of digitizing, the weight of what these messages meant, what they mean, almost drove me down to my knees. I found tears coming to my eyes. I found this intense sadness in my heart, not sadness because of. Leaving home, of not seeing these people again, although that pain was still there, it has been dulled a lot throughout the year. This was sadness of looking back into the current of time and seeing all these youthful faces, seeing all these people, hearing their voices, and wondering, God. Are they still okay? What are they like now? Are some of them happy, or are they like me, stumbling through life, leaving a trail of broken dreams behind, trying the best to survive for another day? And what of my teachers? Are they still around? In my heart. I wished there was a way for me to shout out to all these people who gave me these messages. I wish I could climb to the highest point of the world and shout for them to hear that I am here, that I am doing okay, I, that I still remember them, and that I really appreciate what they did. On the tail of that extreme bout of sadness came extreme gladness, because I suddenly remember how fortunate I was, how fortunate I am, to be living in this magical time. That there is a way for me to shout this message out to at least some of them, at least the ones that are connected to me on Facebook. Or on social media. So immediately, I went on to the group that my old schoolmates are in. We don't talk to each other much, I guess, because we all are busy with our life. And here I am in Canada, while most of them are over there in Taiwan. So there's really not a heck of a lot to say. But I went into the group and I left probably the longest message I've ever left them. I said to them, I said, I just want to thank you all for these words of encouragement way back when none of us really understood what life was all about, and I want you to know that I'm glad that some of you, if not all of you. Are still here in my life, where I can reach you today. I feel so glad that I wasn't born 30 years ago. Because if I was born 30 years ago, there would 
be no way for me to get this message out to those people now. I'm glad that we are still here doing our best, no matter what life has in store for us. I'm glad that we still have each other, even when it is through cyberspace like this. It is good to live in a time such as we live in today. A lot of things are possible. You are listening to the Johnny Tiger Experience podcast, the most chaotic and fun-filled podcast around. Hi. I am Allison, and I am here to tell you of a great way to help out your favorite podcast. Hmm, which podcast is that? Of course, this one. <laughs> Even though robot beauties like myself don't eat much, we still like to feel appreciated. Show your support by making a small monthly contribution. Go to www.patreon.com/johnnytigerexperience. Again, please visit www.patreon.com/johnnytigerexperience. Hello, this is Cam, and welcome to Guitar 101. Okay, guys. Welcome to the second lesson in Guitar 101, and this time we're going to learn how to tune the guitar. Remember the last time I did loads of talking and it was really boring, useful but boring. But this time, you'll, we will hear a guitar, which is progress. So, why do we need to tune the guitar? Well, imagine, if you will, you're about to step on stage. You're about to play a chord. And then you play one, and it sounds like that. People start throwing bottles. A woman starts weeping. You know, you never get booked again. People's ears bleed. It's it's a nightmare. You don't want that. So, those people that say, "Oh, I don't really worry about tuning," they're idiots. Absolute idiots. All right, but we know better, don't we? Because we're rock gods. So, you need a guitar. You need. For this lesson, I will recommend Talking Tuner, which is an app for the iPhone. I think it's a tiny bit of money, maybe one or two dollars.、Uh, I think it was may have been less than a pound for UK guys.、Um, but there are other options, and I'll talk about them in a second. But for this, we're going to use Talking Tuner, and this will really be useful because it gives you feedback on where you're at. So. We know what the strings are from the last lesson. We know the thicker string is an E, and it's the sixth string, and that's where we'll start the tuning. But here's a little analogy to help you remember the notes. 
Eddie ate dynamite. Goodbye, Eddie. So those are the notes that you need. E-A-D-G-B-E. Okay, so... First note, obviously, is an E, so we'll see where we're at. Hit the note. <laughs> okay, talking tune is sometimes quite slow, but what it's just said there is it's 17 cents flat. So what that means is we need to tighten the string. So uh, some guitars have their tuning pegs in a row, in a line of six on the top of the headstock. Uh, most acoustics have three on each side. So what we want is the top right that's attached to the thicker string and so we turn it nice and slowly just see where we're at keep hitting the note and then stop and see where we're at ok we're getting there turn it a little bit more Okay, we're in tune. Excellent. So the A string. And that's also the next tuning peg along. That's in tune already. Excellent. This is the D string. Okay, so this is sharp. Okay, so one thing we need to be aware of is if we have a sharp note, <clears throat> instead of just bringing it down until it's in tune, we want to bring it down a bit further. And the reason for that is if we just bring it down uh, so that it's in tune, um, there can be problems with the tension because we've loosened it to that point. If we go below where we would need to be, so we bring it right down, number 33 cents flat, okay. So the reason we do this is we want to tighten into the note because then it will be more stable on the tuning peg. So bring that up again. Keep bringing that up then. Okay, really close now. So, talking tuner is fairly accurate 90% of the time. Sometimes it has a, some strange moments. Okay, so we're in tune there. Sometimes it does have its strange moments where it will get stuck on something or tell you something completely wrong. But you can at least get close and. If you're, one of your strings is a few cents out of tune, it's not the end of the world. Guitars are actually never fully in tune because of the way they vibrate. And I haven't even pressed a note. Why are you telling me that? Okay, so the next thing we need to do, so we've done the top pegs, first three strings. Now, the G string, everybody's favourite, is the next string, and it is the bottom left. So the pegs go top right is E, middle is A, top left is D, now bottom left is the G string. So where are we at with this one? Note, 
Okay, we're in tune. Now it's saying A sharp, and that means it's a lot lower than we need it to be. So we need to get it to B, obviously, and that's the middle bottom peg. We'll just bring that up. Still quite far away. Okay. I like six cents today, doesn't it? Is that six cents? Bit of a movie joke there. I've never done one of those before in my life. Probably never do one again. <clears throat> okay. Now the last string. It's the thinnest E. So as we know from the last lesson, it's the thin string. Okay. Okay, we're in tune. Sounds a bit better, doesn't it? Okay, so <clears throat> that seems to be the best way to tune. I, I did that nice and slowly just so people could get an idea of how it works. And I know it seems like a really basic thing to some people, but it can be quite daunting when you first start playing to tune your guitar. So, you know, you can't really get anything wrong. The best rule to remember is, um, you know, remember where you want to be. So, Eddie, eight, dynamite, goodbye, Eddie. Those are the six strings. Try and remember it that way. And then if it tells you your note is sharp, then you want to bring it down to below the note you're aiming for and then bring it back up. Um, there's other ways of tuning, but we'll get into that at another time. I think this is just the best way for now. And we now have our guitars in tune. So I think that will do for now. Uh, the next thing we're going to do is learn our first chord because it's all well and good talking, but knowing a first chord is a really good feeling so we're going to do that so I will come back with that in the very near future uh, so thanks for listening and it's good to have in tune guitars Another cooking 101. Today we are going to do something a little bit more uh, difficult. I spent pretty much most of today trying to thinking how we're going to do this because it's something a little bit hard to uh, explain over the phone, but we're going to give it a try. First, understand that if you lack the sensitivity, 
that required for this, then you might not be able to do it. It's one of those things. Kind it's kind of like a, a echolocation. You know, some people just can't do it. Some people are going to be able to do it. Some people can't. I can't do echolocation myself, so I know how that is. So uh, you know, just to get that out there ahead of time, some people will be able to do it. Some people won't be able to. But first, let's test our sensitivity. Here's the plate. I put a rubber eraser on the plate. I take my fork and knife. Now, how do I first spin the plate a few times so you don't know where the eraser is? And then take your fork and see if you can locate that eraser. Aha, uh -huh, there it is. So for me, the texture of the eraser at the end of the fork feels very different from the plate. Here's a plate. Here's an eraser. Sounds different too. Alright, that eraser is going to be our meat. Now, I take a little baggie, one that doesn't leak, uh, one of those ziplock zip, zip bags, and I'm going to fill it uh, three quarters of the way with water. Just fill it enough so when you put it down, it doesn't go flat. You know, and make sure you seal it up so it doesn't leak. Okay? Now, that is... Now, now when you hold it in your hand, it's like a water balloon. It kind of gelatin feel, you know? That is going to be your fat because that is how fat feel like after it's cooked. Okay? Now, put that on the plate and find it with your fork. Watch you don't puncture the bag. Here's the plate, here's the bag, feels totally different on the tip of your fork when I touch it with my fork, it feels nice and uh, springy, kind of kind of uh, jelly like, it has a gelatin feel like really soft and uh, that feel, it feels different from the eraser too, the eraser is kind of firm uh, on the tip of the fork, okay? so. Now I put the bag of water at 12 o'clock on the plate. The eraser at 6 o'clock. Take the fork in my hand. And let's just get us, ourselves used to the different texture. Plate. Eraser. Water. Plate. Eraser. Water. Now, if you can tell the difference if you so far you are being able to do this, then you you can learn how to turn fat off your meat. Now we take the plate and we spin this several times, several times without cheating. Now, now we don't know where the uh, eraser is, where the uh, bag of water is on the plate. That's why I say no cheating. Now take the fork and try to locate the bag of water. Ah, uh, there it is. And where's the eraser? There it is. Right. Now, we take the bag of water and put it right next to the eraser. That is your meat with a huge chunk of fat on it. So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take the, my fork in my left hand and locate the meat portion. Fat, 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 meat. There we go. 
Okay, I'm going to dig my fork into the meat portion. Sorry, that's the alarm. Uh, I take the knife in my right hand and use uh, keeping my fork where it is. I sort of have a rough idea where the fat is, so I'm going to use a knife, the tip of the knife, to tap along the meat until I locate where the fat, where the texture change from meat to fat. And I'm going to dig my knife in between the meat and the fat and just pull use my fork and pull my fork and knife away from each other just pull them apart pull them apart that's how you separate meat from fat because cooked fat they do not stick to the meat very very firmly so you don't even have to cut it you only only have to have your knife between the meat and the fat and have your fork in the meat and just pull them apart and the whole piece of fat should come off now Let's say you have a big piece of meat and a bit of fat around the outer rim. In this case, I'm going to stab my fork into the meat and I'm going to use my fork to pick up the meat. And I'm going to take my knife and just shave it along the outer edge of the meat. Not very hard because they are going to, uh, fat come off very easily again, so just shave it gently until all the fat is gone and all that's left is good meat. There we go. As, as usual, happy cooking, happy meal, and be safe. The following commercial contains some strong language and suggestions of a sexual nature if you are under the legal age or are easily offended. Please skip forward two minutes. Now, right now. Still here? Okay then, here we go. And now, a word from our sponsor. Welcome to the rail. Are you looking for love? Oh yeah, we've got love. What is it that you like about my tits? You have construction tits. I sure do enjoy snacking on the pink velvet meat curtains. He masturbated in my inbox. Oh my lord. Are you looking for peace and tranquility? We got plenty of that too. You are nobody to me. I don't know you, but if I know anything about Mexican men, is that they are only out for one thing. So, listen, Fleabag, leave me alone and stop messaging me or I'm going to mute you. I think you're full of shit, to be honest. I don't like how you talk about women. I was raised by a woman. I got a daughter and all that. Nigga, fuck you, nigga. Fuck all that, you heard me? You bitch. I hope you know that it's only gonna get worse for you. What you did to me was not good, and you will pay for it. Or are you looking to extend the hand of friendship? You all either fucking get along with me on here, or mute me, or guess what? I will just fucking disappear and never fucking come on here ever again. Don't mind me, I'm using the restroom. I apologize. I normally don't do this on a question, but I wanted to get my feelings out. I'm obese. Would you sit next to me on a plane? Get on my thread, follow the rules. Smack that ass thread. All chatter, no text. So, if you're just looking to bone your way through a bunch of visually impaired bitches and hoes, or just wish to cast judgement on somebody for having a speech impediment, why not get Varail today? Varail is available from the Apple and Android app stores, no purchase necessary. Back when I was in high school, 
I used to have to walk to school with my brothers and friends. And quite often, we would uh, go past this little park. There would be these old folks sitting at the park bench, reading newspapers, feeding the birds or squirrels. They always seemed so bored, so relaxed, so free with their time, while the rest of us were always in a hurry to get somewhere, to go do something. And back then, in my young mind, I vowed to never become one of those old codgers. I would never get so old that I would sit at the park bench doing nothing, squandering time away, wasting daylight, being bored. Fast forward 20 years. The other day, I was early for work. The weather was good, the birds were singing. So I sat myself down on the park bench and very soon I found myself reading the news on my iPhone. Oh, how time has changed. Welcome back to another episode of Night Strike 101, where I attempt to give you a little martial art and self-defense tips and tricks. Hopefully you'll never have to use them, but if you ever do, hopefully they'll be useful. Today I want to talk a little bit about the angles of attack, which is something people don't often talk about, and something you don't see a lot in sports fighting. Here is how things look inside the fighting ring. You and your opponent square off. He's in front of you, you are in front of him. You both know what's going to happen as soon as that bell sounds. That's cool. That's uh, very useful in a sport, sportsmanship, uh, sportsman-like setting where you want to uh, you know, respect each other. Now, Let's look at what happens on the street. You're walking down a dark alley. The attacker come out. Are they going to approach you head on? Are they going to approach you from the side? Or will it be something like they're coming from behind you and something grab you, demands your money? Most likely, unless the person is really confident in themselves, it's not going to be head on. Why? Because sighted people 
are used to the idea that head-on means no advantage. And this is something that we have to learn as blind people. Because we don't have that natural instinct to know this stuff. Okay. When you are right in front of a person, standing right in front of a person, this is bad, okay? The person can hit me with his right hand, he can hit me with his left hand, he can kick me with his uh, right leg, he can kick me with his left foot, he can headbutt me, he can grab something from his pocket, and he can stab me with his right hand, he stab me with his left hand. He can do all kinds of things. Well, so this is red zone, this is danger zone. Right in front of the person, you have zero safety. Now, if I turn the person, if I move myself to the person's right side, so I'm 90 degrees to the person, I'm facing the right shoulder. Now they are in my danger zone. I can hit them with my right hand, I can hit them with my left hand, I can kick them with my right foot, I can kick them with my left foot, I can headbutt them. I can take things out of my pocket and stab them with my right, stab them with my left, hit them however I want. But from this angle, they can only get at me with, at the most, their left hand or to a shorter degree their right foot, maybe they can try to stomp on me, stomp on my toe. Maybe they can try to hit me with the right, right hand, but I'm off to the side, so the angle is totally wrong for them. Okay, so this is 50% safe zone for me, and they are still in my danger zone because they are in front of me. Now, if I move behind them, now I can hit them with my right hand, hit them with my left hand, kick them with my right leg, kick them with my left leg, I can headbutt them, uh, I can elbow them, I can take something out of my pocket and stab them with my right hand or stab them with my left hand. They are still in my danger zone because they're still in front of me. But what can they do to me? I'm right behind them. Maybe they can try to headbutt me, maybe they can try to do a little mule kick, um, maybe they can try to swing their elbow back at me, but anything they are trying to do is very, very short range, very limited. So if I stand at an arm's length away, at this distance behind them, there's not much they can do to me without them turning around. And by the time they try to turn around, I can hit them in the head, I can hit them in the face, I can be there waiting for them. That's 100% safe zone for me to be behind the person. So this is what we talk about when we talk about angle of attack. This is why we never stay put. The, uh, I would encourage you guys to go back to checking out Night Strike 101 where I said keep moving. And this is very important. Never stay in front of the person. Always try to maneuver yourself to that 50% safe zone or 100% safe zone or quarter 25% uh, safe zone that's better than right in front of them if you have to be like a 45 degree angle off to the left or the right that's better than right in front of them 
One more thing I want to add to this is dropping your elevation. A lot of sighted people are not used to this because they are, they are used to keeping eye contact. But if I'm fighting someone and they're trying to punch back at me, where are they most likely going to hit? They're trying to hit it. They're tr most, try to, uh, most of them try to headhunt, which means they're trying to uh, punch for my head, they're trying to grab my head, they're trying to, you know, if they come at me with a weapon, most likely they swing for the head and upper body. Now, if I suddenly drop my level, I drop down to my knee, my head is now at almost their belly button level. And from here, I can punch them right in the groin. From here, I can trip them. From here, I still have full faculty of my attack. But all of a sudden, they have to take a few seconds to adjust to uh, suddenly fighting a much shorter uh, elevation. Yes, they may, able, they may think about throwing a kick at me since I'm down here. But you know what? If I'm coming down here, I already know you might kick at me. So as soon as you try to kick at me, I'm going to grab that leg and take it down to the ground. So, remember, in front equals zero safety. To the side equals 50% safety. In the back of the person, 100% safety. In front and standing, no good. In front, but lower your elevation, you improve your chance of beating this opponent. I hope that you all have fun listening to this. I had fun making it. Be safe out there. I'll see you guys later. And now for more badassery. Only here on the Johnny Tiger Experience Podcast. The best podcast in the world. Blades 101. Where plastic bottles meet their doom. Welcome back to another episode of Blades 101 where we talk about sharp, interesting objects like knives, swords, axes, chainsaws, whatever. Today I want to talk a little bit about uh, basic sword and application and how to pick a sword for you. Now, first, I know it is ridiculous for uh, anyone to learn sword fighting because you don't hang out carrying a sword on you. Uh, but it is immensely fun. If you have never destroyed a row of water bottles with a fully functional combat-ready sword, you need to try that. It's so much fun in a geeky sense. <laughs> And also, 
training with a sword has the side benefit of working functional, building functional muscles, work muscles that you don't build in the gym. Why? Because swords are something that you need to、uh, have perfect control over to gain any kind of mastery. It's a long, sharp piece of metal that will bite you in the ass, literally, if you are not careful. Now, to pick a sword for you, first you need to understand the different kinds of swords. And there's two major different kinds. There's a lot of different swords, but the two major different kinds of swords.、Uh, Which, yes, single-edged like a katana, or a double-edged sword like your regular Germanic broadsword or bastard sword, your、uh, traditional longsword. These are double-edged sword, and in each category. In both category, that、uh, you are dealing with straight sword or curved sword. A katana, for example,、uh, while mostly portrayed as straight, is actually a curved blade with a upward sweep near the end, making it a very good cutter. The traditional. Long sword. On the other hand, it's a straight sword that tapers down to a point. These swords are not as good as、uh, chopping and cleaving as a katana, but they are fantastic with、uh, entry, stabbing, lunging, and、uh, short distance slashing. So to pick the right sword for you, you need to understand your own、uh, build and your own height, and what kind of movement are you comfortable with? Are you the kind of guy who can、uh, can do big, big arm movement and do a lot of chopping, like chopping woods, and、uh, like you can swing a baseball bat really, really well? Then. A katana would probably, or any single-edged curved sword, would be a good choice for you. But if you are the kind of person that is smaller, or if you are more into the、um, quick in, quick out, and、uh, you are not so good at the big, powerful swing, but you are good at the forward and back and、uh, stabbing and Quick little cuts. If you are good at quick little movements, you are really maneuverable. If you are really good at dance, dancing around and、uh, have really good balance, then a double-edged sword is probably your best friend. How long should a sword be? It should be in direct relation. To your 
uh, upper body actually. A lot of people go by height, but that is misleading because some tall guys can uh, can master a broadsword or a great sword, and some guys can't. Uh, the sword should, in essence, from pommel on, uh, the sword shouldn't be twice. Like when you hold the sword sideways to your body, the sword shouldn't be twice the width of your shoulder. Your shoulder's width should be uh, just a little bit wider than halfway of the sword. That guarantees you perfect control. Otherwise, your form, when you swing the sword, you are constantly going to be pulled off center. Now, we want to talk about a little bit of a different way of how to hold the sword at rest. A single blade sword, you can comfortably tip it back. So now I have the sword in my hand. The sword is casually pointing behind me and the spine of the sword is resting on my shoulder. I can hold this sword like this all day long. I don't want to get tired and if I need to use it, it's right there, ready for a downward cut or all I have to do is turn my body a little bit and I can do a horizontal cut. Obviously, with a double-edged sword, there's no leisure as resting the spine of the blade on your shoulder. You're going to cut yourself wide open. So, when you hold a double-edged sword at rest, you either have to leave it resting point, uh, point on the ground, which is actually quite damaging for the point of the sword if you are dealing with uh, hard uh, flooring. So, I prefer not to let any part of my blade edge touch the ground. So, for how I hold it, is I will turn it back toward me, so pointing, uh, since I'm right-handed, I have the sword in my right hand, I have the sword pointing behind me over my left bicep, and the sword is resting along my left forearm uh, on its side. So my left hand's fingertip should be touching the guard of the sword and the blade is resting on its side along my forearm. Okay, remember when you have the sword resting in this position, when you, if you have to draw a cut or employ the sword, do not pull toward yourself. You are going to slice your bicep open. In this case, the way to do it is either to swing the sword outward from yourself or simply take your arm away from underneath the sword. So let's say I have the sword here resting on my arm and I need to use the sword suddenly. I put my right hand on the hilt, I drop my left arm to the side and now I can spin the sword either way without endangering my arm. Another thing to watch out for 
especially for double-edged sword, is to understand that while one edge is facing outward, the outer edge is always facing you. This sword can cut you just as much as cutting the out your opponent. So the key is to remember, if it's a one-handed sword, always remember to pay attention to your offhand. Why? I've seen people do that before with training sword, luckily, but they do a big swing and then they recover. They do a fancy uh, twirl with the blade to spin back. They forget their offhand is uh, in the way of the blade and the blade hit the left arm. Now, with a training blade, that's just going to embarrass you and give yourself a bit of a bruise. If that was a real sword, you just cut off your own arm because you forgot where your offhand is or what your offhand is doing. So always remember where your legs are, what your legs are doing, what your offhand is doing because it's a double-edged sword. There's an edge that can come back and cut you. With a single-blade sword, you don't have to worry about that as much, although uh, you still have to be very careful with a single-blade sword because uh, of the large cleaving swings. You have to be careful it doesn't pull you off-center and always, always remember where the edge is. Now, the problem with a single-blade sword is sometimes in the heat of battle, you the sword is turning your hand and you forget uh, which if the edge is facing outward or if it's the spine of the sword facing outward. Especially for blind people, this is this can be pretty confusing if you don't pay attention. Double-edged sword, no such problem. I know, as long as the sword is uh, got one edge forward, it's always ready. So, that's pretty much it for the uh, basic level stuff. Um, I may talk about uh, the more specific techniques uh, in later posts if there's enough interest or if I have the time to do them. But for now, be careful when you're playing with sharp toys. Keep them out of the hand of little children. where we work hard and play harder. Welcome back to another episode of Fitness 101. We might as well call this Push-Ups 101 <laughs> because again, we are doing push-ups today. So today we are going to do uh, elevated push-up. This is a little bit more advanced uh, but some of you might already be doing this uh, so there are several ways to do this from easy to very difficult um, the principle of the thing is to get your lower body and feet elevated above the level of your shoulder so more weight will be concentrated toward your chest and shoulder and this is a great way to build up uh, those muscles that uh, 
I'm not very good with my biology terms, unfortunately. Those two big muscles that uh, lead from your neck to the tip of your shoulder blade. Uh, what, whatever you call those. <laughs> uh, some, some instructor I am, eh? But yeah, whatever. You're good for your muscles. <laughs> so, um, the easy. We'll look at several forms today. So you, the easiest elevator push-up, you can, and this, you can use a chair or a bed or whatever. So, put down the phone, and I'm sore today, I'm really, really sore. But no, I'm still going to do my push-up. No slacking off from this soldier. Get your uh, leg on the bed, and get your hand to the, on the floor. Now, if you're new at this, you can do it uh, with your lower leg all the way up to your knee on the bed and do push-up from this position. Now, that is easy. Gradually, you can move out until only your toes are on the bed. Now, this is a lot more difficult. And you just do it like regular push-up. Now, if you progressed to only have your toe or feet on the bed. Make sure to keep your knees straight. I've seen some people, as soon as they start to get tired, they start bending their knee, letting their lower body drop down. That will mess up your form. Keep that lower body, hip and knee locked in straight. This is good for building your core muscles. When this is getting boring and you want something new to do, take one foot off the bed and just support yourself on that one remaining foot on the bed and do your push-up. After 10 or so push-ups, switch foot, take the uh, other one off the bed and do another 10 20 push-ups. Now, when this is becoming easy, you can do this with your feet on the resistant ball or a medicine ball. That will add another dimension of challenge to your push-up. Now you have to think about balance. And then do it with only one foot on the ball. Now you really have to think about balance. Have fun with your push-up. Have a good workout. I'll see you guys later. Over 70% of crimes occur in dark places, during dark hours. And over 30% of those involve a weapon. Hey, check that out. Let's get her. Being alert is the first rule of survival. Uh, come on, man. She's blind. She ain't gonna have nothing. <laughs> come on, man. This'll be easy. So easy. That's right, man. Come on, don't be such a little wuss. I can feel their eyes on me. And they are closing in. Three of them. Hey, sweetie. Are you lost? Oh, maybe we could help you out. Second rule of survival. Stay calm. Be ready. You got any money on you? Come on. 
Let me see. Come on. Let me see what you got in there. Come on. Let me see some money. Give me some money. Come on. Give me your money. Come on. Give me your money. Give me your money. Gun pressed to my forehead. Look scared. Element of surprise is the third rule of survival. Whoa. whoa, whoa. Take it easy there. What, what are you guys doing? What is that? It's a gun, you what? Got to move fast. Deflect the barrel away from me. One less to worry about. Follow through with rule number four. Parry the low line stab in from the right. Control. Learn how to protect yourself and your loved ones. Visit www.tacticalpersonalprotection.com. Mention the Johnny Tiger experience for your free session today. Back when I was a teenager, when I first started to explore the matters of the heart, a wise person once said to me that there is equal part women and men in the world, and as long as you are truthful, dedicated, and a good person, eventually you will find that Miss Right or Mr. Right that you're looking for. And I truly believe that. Despite all around me, I saw people of my same age group, other teenagers fumbling, stumbling, getting their romantic interests rejected, their fantasies dashed, smashed right in their faces. I believe that if we all just go through life, do what we're supposed to do, we will find love. And how wrong I was. But what more ironic is that that kind of encouragement doesn't seem to acknowledge the big problem in the society today, which is for people with a physical disability, finding relationship, finding a meaningful relationship becomes a huge, huge challenge. Yeah, and you thought that finding work was the only problem. And it is. Finding work, employment opportunity is a big problem for disabled people. But there has been countless literatures, countless seminars and workshops that covers uh, matters of employment, matters of independence, matters of finance, matters of uh, entertainment, matters of recreation. There are sailing clubs, there are uh, various sport clubs for people with disability. But there's very, very little out there that would assist a person with disability in finding that special someone. Now, I have been one of the fortunate ones that 
it never been a particular issue for me. Maybe because of my angelic good look and all that. I think I just got sick a little bit in my mouth. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, I must uh, to admit that all around me I see disabled people, blind people, or people with other disabilities go through their entire life getting lonely, desperate, and unhappy. And when people are lonely, desperate, and unhappy, they make errors in judgment. Speaking of errors in judgment, here is today's captain's blog from Captain Lo-Fi, a heroic tale of lost love and broken heart. Today was foggy and cloudy. Not really cold, but somehow dreary, as if it should have been cold. My memory of the weather six years ago, today, Friday, January 20, 2012, features the same fog, the same clouds, but I remember it being colder. Maybe it was just my mood. In the spring of 2011, I was living in a rental condo in South Austin, working by day and playing lots of different harmonica gigs at night. My choice to move south had surprised a lot of people but my fellow musicians loved it because it meant I was a lot closer to where most of them were and my whole gigging possibility could be a lot more spontaneous. Those relationships, while satisfying, aren't necessarily one's bread and butter when it comes to socializing. That is, those people respected my musical chops, but outside of that, they really didn't know me very well. Somehow, in spite of all the people I saw, I began to feel isolated, alienated. And then I crossed a fatal line because I told myself I'm lonely. The part of the self that hears, the speaking part of the self, seized upon that phrase and made sure that it was always reverberating around both my dreams and my waking consciousness. I'm lonely. It echoed. If you've never done this, don't. While it's perfectly fine to acknowledge loneliness and to feel loneliness, don't say just for saying's sake, I'm lonely. This is some sort of internal magic that propels you to take risks that you shouldn't take. I began to take those risks 
late at night on OKCupid and such. In the late spring, early summer of 2011, those risks bore unfortunate fruit. I met someone. We began talking. When you do that sort of thing, you tend to idealize the other person. Anything that might be a fault or a lead into shadow gets twisted around or justified somehow. I was certain she was nice. We made arrangements to meet and one Friday afternoon after work, I got on the bus and went down to San Antonio and met her. There followed a very nice weekend. We talked and talked and talked and everything looked great. Over the summer, she would come up to Austin to see me sometimes and I would go down there to San Antonio or Ivaldi where her family lived and see her. I thought I was on the right track. We decided we'd move in together. We picked a spot equidistant from where her family lived and where I worked. We rented a house together in San Antonio for which I paid since I was the one with the job. But that all seemed fine to me. Not to some of my friends. They took me aside. You're leaving Austin? Really? I think so, I said. What about your music? There will be music in San Antonio, and I'm not that far away. I can come up here sometimes for gigs. I have become quite proficient at taking the bus, I would joke. Whatever, are you sure you want to do this? I do. Time went by. The move was made, and she and I began a life together in October of 2011. She had a son who had, as is said, been in trouble with the law. But in the same way that I idealized things that looked suspect about her, I justified her son's behavioral lapses. He's on the right track, I would think. And he was always nice enough to me, to my face. I would come up and spend two to three days in Austin working and then come back to our house in San Antonio on Wednesday nights. I was applying for a hardship transfer to an office in San Antonio that would have me not having to come up to Austin. 
One of the most fortunate turns of events I've ever experienced was the sluggishness and ultimate failure of this application. Thanksgiving came, Christmas came. There were signs of trouble, but I ignored them. Everything looked good. The new year came. I spent New Year's Day largely by myself as she slept most of the day. She had a back injury and she was on a number of different opiates. I wondered what the year was going to be like. I was a little sad, but I thought I'm moving off into a new phase of my life. Then January 14th came. I was in our laundry room servicing the cat box. I overheard a conversation I wasn't supposed to hear between herself and her son in the garage. They were planning to take some of her prescription opioid medications and trade them for cocaine, which they would then sell or use. Said her son to her, what about Bradford? He won't know, she said. All he cares about is that fucking music. He's really pretty stupid. Sweet, but stupid. So much for all that idealizing and justification. I knew where I stood. My reaction was not immediate. I had arranged to be off that Monday as it was the day we normally celebrate Dr. King's birth and accomplishments. So I called a friend of mine in Austin and told him what I'd heard. We need to get your ass back up here, he said. I told you this wasn't a good idea. I couldn't argue with him as he had indeed told me this wasn't a good idea. I came up on Wednesday and we made plans. I came back home Thursday night and early Friday morning, January 20th, I arose and came into my office and began disconnecting the computer equipment and such so that I could take all of my stuff with me. I quietly walked my guitars and amps and musical equipment into the living room so that they could be taken outside surreptitiously. My friends Bob and Ted texted me 
We're on the way, they said. Are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. I snuck into the room where her son was sleeping, retrieved two Afghans that my daughter had given me, seduced the cats into carriers with some narcotic strength catnip. And when my friends got there, we loaded up the car with all my stuff. I went into the room where she was sleeping and said, can you wake up? We need to talk. She awakened, not at all in a good mood. What do you want? She said. I'm leaving you, I said. I heard what y'all are planning to do and I don't want any part of it. And I heard what you said about me and I don't want any part of this relationship. She was livid. I gave her money for rent and bills for the rest of the month, got in the car with my friends and came back to Austin. The next two years were tough. I had a lot of debt to pay off. I lived in a small room in a friend's house with all of my worldly goods. I thought about all that quite a bit today as I was by myself most of the day. But never once did I say to myself, I'm lonely. I don't say that anymore. I don't think it's at all safe. When the one you love is not around to take care of you, what do you do? You do it yourself, that's what. Welcome to DIY 101. Hey, welcome back to DIY 101. Um, this technically was supposed to go under Night Strike 101 or Fitness 101, but I couldn't make up my mind on which one of those it should go, so put it here in DIY, um, because it can apply to either or. Uh, basically, we're talking about the funky smell you get uh, in your fighting gear. Uh, if you do boxing, kickboxing, uh, any kind of sparring, any kind of contact martial arts, uh, even any kind of, like, those of you who do go ball and stuff like that, you wear pads and things, those things eventually start to pick on the, uh, the uh, a kind of funky smell, and that is bad, that is bacteria uh, festering in your gear. Okay, some people, I've heard some athletes say, well, that's just the way things smell. No, that's, you know, you, it's not okay. It's gross, okay? It's gross for your partner, for anyone near you. And that thing, yeah, it's just infection uh, waiting to happen. You're, you're wearing your gear, you're sweating. There's a bacteria festering in your gear. And then if you get an open cut somewhere, 
yeah, that's just no, that's just not not cool. So make sure you always clean your gear. And today we are just going to talk about a few ways to get rid of that funky smell and how to keep your gear uh, smelling okay. Well, smelling okay, they still won't smell like roses, but they'll smell a lot better. The first, and very obvious, uh, keep your gear somewhere with good ventilation. So when you're not using them, don't just throw them in your gym bag and forget about them. Okay, in a dark, uh, damp place, like inside your gym bag, that's just a prime way for you to start cultivating uh, bacteria on the inside of your pads and gloves and stuff like that. So leave them sitting out uh, by the window or somewhere with good ventilation uh, so they can air out and that will cut down on a lot of the smell and keep them nice and dry. Second, uh, you can go to the pet store and buy cedar chips. Cedar, cedar chips are great for this because this is why people use them in uh, cages, uh, animal cages, uh, to keep down the uh, smell of the uh, animal byproduct. <laughs> so if you buy a bag of cedar chips, they are really cheap. If you buy like you know uh, $10 worth of cedar chips, you are, you are going to end up with like a huge, huge bag of them, maybe. Uh, like 10 or 20 pounds of the, the down thing and it's going to last you a whole year. So it's a well, uh, worthwhile investment. Take a, a handful of cedar chips and fill them, uh, put them in a, a pair of old gym socks, those long knee socks that you might have kicking around. Tie off the end and stuff these into your gear. Okay, put these uh, cedar-filled socks into your glove, into your helmet, into your, uh, put your pad around it, and that will make sure just that will suck up the moisture and keep your gear smelling pretty good. Uh, hand sanitizer, those little bottles of alcohol hand sanitizer, they work really, really well. Uh, I spray my gear down after I fight uh, every time and rub them into the vinyl and leather and then let the gear sit there and dry. Now, there's a little bit of warning I need to give you on using sanitizer. Uh, if you have really expensive gear, you probably don't want to use that because the alcohol will eventually crack the vinyl or the leather of your fighting gear. Uh, unless you just like that worn, cracked, battle-hardened look. <laughs> you probably want to think twice before using alcohol to disinfect your gear. Um, another cool way to kill off the bacteria and get rid of the smell is to put your uh, gear in. After uh, wiping them down, put them into a plastic bag and stuff them into your freezer. And next time, before you use them, take them out of the freezer, take them out of the bag, and uh, take a hair dryer, a blow dryer, and uh, dry, dry them up thoroughly. And that will uh, drastically cut down the smell and uh, pretty much make sure the bacteria is not festering and reproducing inside your uh, sports gear. So, Keep yourself and your gear smelling good so people 
have a good time training with you and have fun out there. You are listening to the Johnny Tiger Experience Podcast. Like more Johnny Tiger contents? Sure you do. Go to www.johnnytiger.com and there you can access the YouTube channels, get contact information, and much, much more. Thank you for listening. Hello everybody, at least those of you who appreciate and collect or are interested in action figures or as we call it, man dolls <laughs> or toys or whatever you would call it. Today I'm uh, doing a review of uh, one of the figures that's really hard to find nowadays and has been my holy grail for quite a long time. This is Evil Ryu from the Street Fighter video game, released in 2004 by a company no longer in existence now, but the company is called SOTA, S-O-T-A. SOTA made a great many lines, about five series of Street Fighter action figures. They were fantastic, they were multi-jointed, like they were full of articulation and they were so well sculpted and true to the game. At the time when they were releasing these figures, a lot of us uh, collectors thought that such a kick-ass line would go on forever. So a lot of us did not rush to snatch up these figures. Much to our chagrin, by series five, due to some technical error, the factory uh, basically uh, uh, had some disagreement with the toy company and uh, they, the toy company pretty much got screwed over by the factory worker so they went bankrupt. Thus ended one of the greatest line of action figures in the 2000 era. <coughs> a little bit of background as usual. Ryu is a hero of the game, Street Fighter is a hero of the series. He is an inspiring martial artist who dedicated his whole life to perfecting his body and mind. He often traveled from places to places for nothing but to challenge strong warriors so he can better himself. Somewhere along his journey, he realized that there is an evil force growing within him. The uh, energy source he's using called Hado 
is a dark energy that is consuming his soul, and at any time when anger takes over, he transforms into the bloodthirsty and cold and calculated evil Ryu. In appearance, evil Ryu is very similar to regular Ryu because they are the same person, of course. But when he transforms into evil Ryu to denote his evil tendency, his originally white gi is now either dark blue or black, depending on the game. His wristbands are uh, now dark red, and he has a lot of energy auras. Uh, dark auras around his body. His hair also turns a little bit more spiky, and in the later game, he is also shown with fangs like a vampire. His eyes also go from black to red. Before we continue, uh, I'm going to show you guys some sound clips of Evil Ryu in action, so you guys get an idea of what this character uh, acts like and sounds like. Bison has summoned you. the official review itself. Many companies have attempted to make Street Fighter action figures in the past. Toy Biz tried and failed, Palisade tried and failed, and Resaurus tried and failed. But Sota Toy burst onto the scene in early 2000s and took everybody by surprise and made some of the best looking Street Fighter action figures ever produced. Nowadays, these SOTA-made action figures are very, very expensive on the secondary market. Uh, if you want an evil Ryu of your own, be prepared to pay a minimum of $60 US 
and it can go up to somewhere around $500 US. It's really, really ridiculous. It's sad, really, really sad when we think about it. That back then, a、uh, mere 15 years ago, you could have gotten this action figure for measly $12 US. Yeah, that just make、uh, a lot of us who didn't get him back then really want to slap ourselves upside the head.、Um, for those of our listeners who are blind and may not be very familiar with、uh, Ryu character, Ryu is a, a compact-looking Japanese guy, a Japanese martial artist. He is about five foot seven inches tall, and very very muscular,、uh, in a kind of a、uh, compact and very lean sort of way.、Uh, he has short, unkempt hair, a very strong but definitely not very remarkable face.、Uh, he often travels in a white sleeveless gi,、uh, and. Wears a headband to keep his hair out of his eyes, and he's mostly barefooted. He never seems to wear shoes.、Uh, so, as far as character design go, Ryu is not overly exciting,、uh, and even his story and personality, there's nothing really going on there. He just this really good martial artist who travels the world and challenge people to fights. <laughs>、um, But that aside, as I said, this review is about Evil Ryu,、uh, the dark force, the rage within, the beast within this martial artist. Now, Evil Ryu has had、uh, several editions.、Uh, there's one with a, a regular release with a dark blue gi that comes with interchangeable head and hands. However, the version I have before me is the one that was exclusive. It's、uh, Evil Ryu with a black gi, red eyes, and big red kanji on his back, and his right hand is cast in transparent blue and is surrounded with strands of crackling energy. He's really cool looking. He also comes with a little duffel bag because, like I said, Ryu mostly just、uh, travel the world and、uh, just. Go around challenging people, so he needs a duffel bag to keep his uh, sleeping uh, bag and change of clothes and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess.、Um, so that's a cool little bonus. Other than that, this Ryu actually, for those of you who、um, might have gotten the can action figure, you will find that he is very much the same mold. A lot of him is actually the same mold as Ken. Which normally is a problem for me. I hate buying action figures, especially an expensive action figure like this, when a lot of him is reused parts. However, in Ryu and Ken's case, it does make sense because in the original video games, they were just the same palette, just swap color. Uh, so uh, it makes sense that they would be more or less the same. However, there are some differences.、Uh, Ryu's Uh, sleeveless gi and the edges of his、uh, pant leg—they are ragged and torn, while cans are smooth and nicely sewn. And if you look at the back of Ryu's gi, you will notice that、uh, 
the muscular definition seems a little bit more so it's almost like they cast the gi top a little bit tighter on Ryu for some reason uh, the uh, uh, warrior elements on his belt they are not just painted but actually sculpted in which is a nice touch his headband his gi top his belt are all soft rubber while the rest of him uh, are hard plastic. He is articulated at the neck, chest, waist, shoulder, elbow, wrist, uh, hips, knees, ankles, and in the middle of his feet. Like many of the action figures from the Street Fighter line, uh, Ryu sporting some seriously big feet. I don't know if walking around the world barefooted give, give you big feet or not, but that seemed to be the uh, uh, style of the, these action figures. A lot of the guys from the Street Fighter line uh, are barefooted and a lot of them have huge feet. Uh, if you uh, compare them against feet on similar sized action figures from Marvel or DC like Superman or uh, uh, Captain America and those guys are wearing boots. And these guys, their bare feet are actually bigger than the boots on those other characters. The Evil Ryu action figure stands just over 6 inches tall, which is actually a little bit too tall for this character, but we are not going to complain too much about that. Uh, there's going to be a bit of uh, exaggeration in scales as usual, but if we go by his official height of uh, I think 5'7", then he really should be a little bit shorter. Uh, the sculpt on this guy is really good. The uh, muscles on his arms and his chest uh, are really really well done and uh, even his the wrinkles on his feet and on his uh, fist they are really really well sculpted in. Overall, I'm very glad I finally found this figure and my collection of action, uh, Street Fighter related action figures is just at one step closer to completion. Although I think I may go bankrupt before completing the lineup, but hey, I'll take whatever I can get. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed this review and we will be back later for more. Johnny Tiger Experience goodies. Thank you for checking out the review. See you guys in a bit. I always feared this would come to pass. I no longer need a master. I'll grind your bones to dust. Failure or not, you are my pupil. It is time for me to take responsibility. Who will emerge a champion? Fight! I cannot lose Hey Bloop, have you heard about this new text-based RPG online? I have. I believe I know which one you're talking about. It's called Cyber Assault, and it's available at cyberassault.org. Is that the one you're talking about, Leap? Yes, it's really, really cool. And I like it a lot because it's a game that's set in the future where nuclear 
apocalypse is happening? How exciting a nuclear apocalypse? We've seen a lot of nuclear apocalypses in our time. However, this text-based RPG is the most accurate game of all time. Very cool. Yes, and it has a cool character class that you can actually choose from, including Borg, Stalker, Caller, Crazy, and Mercenary. I really like the Borg. Reminds me of my robotic mother. Very cool. Very, very cool video game. One more time, Bleep. What's the website? www.cyberassault.org. Check it out. It's free, so do it. You do anything for free these days? Goodbye. Two little boys are in the washroom, peeing right next to each other. One turned to the other and said, How come your thing doesn't have skin on its end? To which the other boy said, Because I'm circumcised, you dummy. The first boy said, So, what does that mean? The boy said, Well, that means they uh, cut the skin off. The boy who posed the original question thought for a second, flinched, and asked, When did that happen? Well, said the other boy, my mother told me they did it when I was two days old. Didn't, didn't that hurt? Said the first boy rather uncomfortably. You bet it hurt, said the other boy. It hurt so much I didn't walk for years. <laughs> uh, that's a cute little joke. Um, before we end the episode today, I want to give a shout out to Radar 9 Production. Go to www.radar9.com. That's www.radarnine.com. Radar 9 is also the production that's handling the Johnny Tiger films and efforts. So kudos to all my friends at Radar 9 Films. And that, my friend, come to the end of episode 39. Don't forget, if you enjoy the Johnny Tiger Experience podcast and would like to help keep the kittens and uh, cubs and uh, hardworking elves, aka me, fed, uh, you can uh, support the podcast by go to my Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Johnny Tiger Experience. There you can make a monthly pay- a pledge and even any little amount would really help a lot. And if you don't feel like uh, that this is something that you can figure into your budget, no problem. Just share uh, the podcast on social media. Tell your friends about us. The more people listen, the more happy we get. So thank you, everyone. If you have any feedback and comments, send it to johnnytiger at shaw.ca. That's johnnytiger at shaw.ca. You can also find me on johnnytiger.com on Facebook, Reddit, and YouTube. Or if all else fails, just Google Johnny Ty or Blind Martial Artist or Johnny Tiger. Something's bound to come up. Again, thanks for being here with me. I will see you guys in the next episode.
Thank、you